You are a blessed people. I trust you realize how fortunate you are to be members of this congregation, to have the opportunity to worship with a throng of people like this. Indeed, you are blessed to be a blessing. I have enjoyed being here since last evening, meeting with the missionaries and with members of your pastoral staff. It has been a great pleasure. Just worshiping with you this morning, I have a sense of the presence of God. When Leanne, I believe that was the name of the woman who was singing the solo part to the opening number, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. She has a voice like an angel. And then as I heard the, the worship team lead us, the instrumentalists, uh, people who not only perform for us, but much more than performing, they're actually worshiping with us and leading us into the presence of the throne. And I feel blessed to be with you this morning. As a brother in Christ, as a minister of the gospel, as a missionary, I am here this morning to remind you of things that you already know and to encourage you to intensify the commitments that you have already made. As your pastor mentioned, this is Missions Conference Sunday. God did not establish the church and then give it a mission to keep some of its members busy. Rather, God initiated mission in the world and then he established in the fullness of time the church as the means by which it would be carried out. Now, now this morning as we speak about from the word of God, I want all of you to write down three words on a piece of paper. That means please get out a piece of paper <laughs> and a pencil or a pen. These are three simple words, but I want these to frame our thinking this morning. I don't know how some of you are managing to get out a piece of paper and a pencil with your arms folded across your chest. So I, I see you, I'm not gonna point you out. Um, <laughs> but uh, write down these three words, if you would, please. The first word is pray. B-R-A-Y. The second word is give. And the third word is engage. I'd like you to be thinking about a person, a missionary, a part of the world, a mission organization, an issue for which you can be giving yourselves, yourself in prayer on a more regular basis, to come alongside someone or something or some activity and be a turbocharger for that because without the work of prayer, our work is futile. Secondly, I want you to think about giving. We've just taken the offering. And the offering, wherever, unfortunately, they didn't pass the plate along the front row because I didn't give an get an opportunity to give. But no matter where I am, I tithe to my regular church. I give to support missionaries. But I always like to give because in its expression, I have something, Lord. I'm so grateful. I have more than I need, and I want to return a part of it to you. And I know that no matter what I give, you'll take it and you'll multiply it 10, 60, and 100-fold for all of eternity. Plus, we get eternal life. And so for you to be thinking about how do I take my funds and invest them in the bank of heaven where they'll be multiplied for his glory. I want to encourage you to increase your giving. I'm not the beneficiary of your largesse, but I was with the missionaries last evening. You have a remarkable group of men and women from a variety of ministries around the world. I don't know who chooses these people, but you have an amazing distribution of work going along, going in strategic places. They need your prayers and your support. And thirdly, uh, I want to ask you to think about engagement. Where do you engage? Because if you love God with all your 
heart, soul, mind, and strength. And could I ask how many of you do? Virtually every hand in the sanctuary. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And God has given you gifts that he wants you to use for his glory and for the benefit of the world. And it may be that you realize that on this Mission Sunday that, that the mission of the church does not belong to a select few. It belongs to all of us. And you may think, I have not been using my gifts for the extension of the kingdom. And here I am in my Jerusalem, Lansing, Michigan. It may be that God will take me to Judea or Samaria to the ends of the earth. But I want you to be thinking about how you can engage in mission as an individual, as a family, as a congregation. Now let me ask you something at the beginning. How many of you here in this sanctuary this morning came to Christ through the ministry of an evangelist at a public meeting. You were in a stadium, you were in a large auditorium, perhaps it was Billy Graham, Leighton Ford, Louis Palau. How many of you came to Christ in that context? Could you please raise your hands? Actually, could you stand so we can see you? Could, you, you don't mind? It was through the public ministry. Okay, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Let's thank God for the, the, the ministry of evangelists. How about, I'm not a stadium evangelist, but I thank God for those who have those gifts. How about those of you who came to Christ through the ministry of broadcast ministries, radio or television or the internet? How many of you here came to, to Christ through those, those means? Okay. Who here is involved in radio ministry? I hope you don't feel too discouraged. <laughs> okay. Um, how, how, how about those of you who came to Christ through, through literature? You read a tract or a book or a magazine. And, and through it, you embrace the gospel. Could I see your, raise your hands, please? Okay. Uh, how many of you came to Christ through the influence of a parent or a neighbor or a teacher or a friend? Could you please raise your hands? Ashley, could you stand? Um, it looks to me like we have a majority. <laughs> Do you get a picture of how the kingdom works? You may be seated. Let's look again at the passage that Ben read for us. And I'm so pleased to be here with my friend Ben and his lovely wife, Rachel. Uh, you do have an amazing group of leaders here at this church. I've been so impressed with Pastor Don, who I've gotten to know. Um, though we have not, not known each other for a long time, my heart is drawn to him, and obviously he is a man upon whom the favor of God rests and Pastor Doug, who I've a chance to meet, has such a wonderful first name and such winsome character. <laughs> and then to be with Ben. I met Ben when he was a first-year student at Gordon-Conwell. Actually, he and Rachel and her brother were with us for Thanksgiving. I followed his progress and growth as a young minister of the gospel while he was in seminary. And now his five years here. You are really fortunate to have him. I hope you're taking good care of him. Because of, to have a person like him who is so capable, so gifted, so dynamic, handsome, beautiful wife, energetic, um, can't quite read you. See, can't quite read your writing, Ben. But I think we've got uh, most of the high high points there. God is using you, and blessing you, and it's really wonderful to be here with you in ministry this morning. Let's just read um, from verse 16 from the text that was read earlier. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Many of us memorize verse 17 as children. Therefore, if anyone is 
in Christ. He is a new creature. The old has gone, the new has come. Verse 18. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 is a repetition that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Repetition is a very effective teaching tool. And so in case you missed it the first time, Paul says God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ. And he gave us, he has given to us, to you and me, the church, South Church in Lansing, the body of Christ universal. We are the agents. Pastor prayed in his prayer earlier that it, God could have used a theophany. God could have used angelic beings. God could have used any means, but in my estimation, he exercised his least his, his worst possible option when he chose people like you and me. But in a sense, it's God in his wisdom chose us because there's a sense in which we can say, I have been reconciled to God. What does it mean to be, be reconciled? To be, to be made right. The accounts have been balanced. We have made peace with God. We are in harmony with him. And thus we have the opportunity to live in harmony with one another, with those in our family, with, with those in our congregation. We have experienced that. And we are to model that to the rest of the world. Verse 14 and 15, Paul writes, We live for him who died for them and was raised again. We are a new creation. We have been blessed to be a blessing. All this is from God. This is God's initiative. And it's wonderful to see the way 2,000 years after, Jesus stated unambiguously for the twelve in whom he had invested himself for those three years. He said, therefore, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's initiative. This was not the plan of the missions committee of this church. This was not a council of the early church. This was the eternal, global, redemptive purpose of God. That in the fullness of time, he would send his son, Jesus Christ, following after the covenants that he had made with Noah and Moses, before that with, with Abraham, afterwards with, with David, and ultimately through the prophets, and then his son, Jesus Christ. And then on the day of Pentecost, he sent his spirit to empower the church for the work of ministry. We are his agents. And so I want you to be thinking about for whom can you be praying? To whom can you be giving more generously? And where do you engage in the global, eternal, redemptive work of God? We are his partners. The church, the reconciling community, reconciled to be reconcilers. Now, most of you raised your hands earlier when I asked about whether or not you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment, that we are to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. That's the great commandment. The great commission was that we are to go into all the world and make disciples. The great requirement is that we are to walk humbly with our God. These are the imperatives 
of Scripture. And if we love God, we will keep his commandments. But there are some of you here this morning who perhaps do not yet know Christ. And you would say, this doesn't make any sense to me. This business of reconciliation seems to have come out of nowhere. Well, let me briefly give you an overview of the grand narratives of Scripture. The Bible is made up of the Testaments, Old and New, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. The 66 books comprise the inspired, authoritative canon of Scripture, the Word of God. But for those of you who do not know the story in detail, let me just give it to you in summary in four chapters. Chapter 1, the glorious creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I don't care if it took God, if God did it all in seven 24-hour periods. God, who is God, didn't need that much time. He could have done it in a, in a, in, in a nanosecond. God could have done it over billions of years. Why not? He's eternal from everlasting to everlasting. Why do it all in one week? I don't know how God did it. But God did it, and when he had completed the work of creation, he had crowned it with man and woman, made it his own image. He looked at what he had made, and he said, it is good. And it was wonderful. Perfect love in the Trinity. The love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And perfect love between God and those he had made fellowship with him. It was good, and that's the way it was intended to be. But there is a second chapter which forms the backdrop for this morning's message, and that is chapter 2, the tragic chapter of Scripture, that is the tragedy of the fall. That though we were made in God's image, we were made in a universe which he had constructed with moral right and wrong, there was a prohibition to eat of the forbidden fruit in their rebellion, Adam and Eve sinned. And perhaps the saddest words in all of Scripture are to be the echo of God coming to the garden and saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? Made for fellowship, made for oneness, made for the pleasure of God. In their rebellion, they had taken the image of God, they had corrupted it, they had rolled it in the dust. And now there was estrangement, separation, tension. Fortunately, the story does not end with chapter 2. Chapter 3, the story of redemption. God is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin. God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, quick to forgive. And it's in this context that we're talking about reconciliation, that though we are apart from God, God wants to bring us back into fellowship with him through Jesus Christ. And then the fourth chapter, the glorious hope that someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Someday Jesus Christ will return in glory. Sin, which is rampant in our world, will be caged and judged and will be no more. John writes so wonderfully in the revelation that he gives to the church of the hope of sin being eradicated tears being wiped from our eyes, living in a city where there is no need for the sun, for the glory of the Lord shall fill the habitation of heaven. This is the context in which we talk about reconciliation. But let's think a bit about the context of the world in which we minister. Brokenness. The theme of the Lausanne Congress, which I will be speaking about this evening, we held the third Lausanne Congress on World Evangelization in Cape Town, South Africa. 
in 2010. Uh, some of you may or may not be familiar with the Lausanne movement. It's actually a movement that began 40 years ago in July in Lausanne, Switzerland, in a Congress convened by Dr. Billy Graham. A Dr. John Stott, the great pastor theologian from London, was the most articulate spokesman for the movement. He was the primary architect of the Lausanne Covenant, which was the most enduring gift of that Congress, which really provided an articulation of evangelical conviction in non-sectarian language. It was a basis of unity. That Congress also introduced a new paradigm for mission, unreached people groups, and it also helped remind the church of the total scope of our mission, holistic mission. It was an epic-making Congress. Uh, the third Congress was held in Cape Town, South Africa, four years ago this week, October 16 to 25 of 2010 when 4,200 leaders from 198 countries gathered together to, to consider six issues that are of paramount importance to the church with respect to the future of our mission in our increasingly broken world. This was the theme, God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The Theology Working Group, headed by John Stott's protege, Chris Wright, met for four years to do the theological foundations for that Congress and published an annual journal called Following Christ in Our Broken World. We didn't need to explain to anyone what we meant by the broken world. We watch the news, we read the papers, we talk to people with whom we work and live, and we are so aware of brokenness, wars and conflicts, inequity of, 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 inequitable distribution of wealth, disease. Every, poll, every pollster indicates that there is a sense that we are headed in the wrong direction as a nation which has been leading the world for freedom and hope over the course of the last year. Also, brokenness and fragmentation, marginalization in our churches. It can be a bit overwhelming. But in these same gospel passages that speak about wars and rumors of wars and famines and plagues and pestilence, you know what the last part of the verses also say? That in those times you will also see miraculous signs from heaven. God does his best work in the most difficult of circumstances. And I believe that now, with all the challenges that are before us in, our, in this very city, in our nation, in the world, that God wants to do a new thing in our time. The vision that, that, that was the impetus for Cape Town 2010 came to me in the Baldwin Library in Oxford, England, one evening when I was reading the history of the 20th century missions, and I thought, oh, God, you did such great things. There was such dramatic growth of the church in Africa, in Latin America, and Asia. I don't simply want to be a person who studies history. I want to be a part of history in the making. God, do it again in our time. Do something wonderful in our time through us. I'm going to be talking about this evening some of the ways in which we saw God answer prayer on the road to Cape Town. And I'll tell you a bit more about the Lausanne movement. By the way, I'm sure most, most of you are not familiar with the Lausanne movement. I've been introduced as the chairman of the Lasagna Committee for World Evangelization. <laughs> it's not a food business. I've been introduced as the chairman of the Louisiana Committee for World Evangelization and was once introduced as the chairman of the Lamaze Committee for World Evangelization, <laughs> which is actually closest because of its life-giving quality. But I'll be talking about that this evening. But we live in a world which is badly broken and fragmented. But this is the time in which we see great miraculous signs from heaven. My mother 
who went to be with the Lord in August of this year, uh, would often teach us children that whenever we were facing a crisis, whether it was in our home or in our world, near or far, and there would be a sense of upset. Remember my mother saying, there's no panic in heaven. This did not catch God by surprise. God is working out his purposes. Now, as we think about prayer and giving and engagement, I want you to be thinking about where is the place that God would have you to serve. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when the Spirit has come, they were enjoined to go to, to serve him in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. This is the near to far principle. And it's not sequential. First, we get all of Jerusalem, then we go on to the next place. But simultaneously, we have people working in all spheres of society and all sectors of the globe. The majority of you, I'm sure, live within 10 miles or 15 miles of this church. You may or may not be able to identify the nations represented by these symbols, by these flags. Of course, you would, you would recognize the flag of the United States of America. I don't know how many other nations uh, you can recognize. You may or may not go to those places. I hope that many of you have opportunity to be involved in mission trips because it will broaden your horizons and it will change you in wonderful ways. But this is your city. This is your Jerusalem. And I want to encourage every one of you to say, God, I know that you have given me gifts and I know that you intend gifts to be matched with needs and opportunities. Open my eyes and open my heart to the needs that are closest to my home. I want to suggest five areas in which you might be involved uh, here in the greater Lansing area. Where might you engage? First of all, I want you to think about the welfare of children. Children are the most impressionable in our society. Children are also the most vulnerable in our society. I can see here this morning young families with small children, some of whom are with you, others are in children's programs. I can see people who are in middle age. I can see people who probably are about a retirement. Others of you who are well into your retirement. Each of you are in a situation in life where you are uniquely equipped to minister out of your current context. Ministry is not for back then or sometime in the future. God wants to use all of you in greater ways. Think about the welfare of children here in Lansing. I would encourage you to be in touch with the director of children's ministries in your church if this is something that is of interest to you. I would also encourage you to be involved with those who are responsible for the social services. Or perhaps you might go to the Salvation Army because they're often best in touch with the needs of the vulnerable people in our communities. There are children here who look so beautiful and healthy and loved, resting on their mother's or father's arms or shoulders or lap. They are loved, and this is the way it ought to be. But there are so many children, little children, middle-aged children, teenagers, who simply want to be loved. When our nephew was 12 years old, we had come back from Japan on our second furlough after being there for 10 years, and we discovered that our nephew, who was the product of an affluent but a broken home, was in a very bad situation. His stepfather, who actually despised this boy who looked just like his biological father, didn't want him around their home, so he had bounced from home to home. 
and actually ended up in a children's home in Fort Worth, Texas. When I discovered that, I couldn't believe it. And I thought, I need to help my nephew. There's no way I can say, Tim, I love you. I'm praying for you. I'll send you birthday cards, because he would want someone to get him out of that situation. When he was visiting us at Christmas time that year we were home, I was talking to him late one evening, and I asked him, where would you like to live? Because there were several aunts and uncles in the large family that his mother was a part of. And he said, I don't really care where I live. I just want to live with someone who loves me. That's the desire of every child. And there are children here in this city who you could change the direction of their life simply by taking them into your heart and perhaps into your home in an hour or so a week. I would also encourage you to be in touch with school teachers or principals or people who are responsible for public education in this city. I don't know the quality of your public schools on Lansing, but I know that in many cities in our country, the public schools are really struggling. And oftentimes they seek to raise our children without adequate support from the community. And of course, we know that in many cases, Teachers who have moral conviction are limited in what they can do. Find ways in which you can come along the teachers that are part of this congregation and the schools that are part of this city. And I would encourage you to be a church that says, we don't want just one or two of our students going away to teach for America in some competitive program. We want to be a church which encourages the teachers to be a part of shaping the next generation. Thirdly, I would encourage you perhaps some of the leaders of the church to be in touch with the police department because you will find some older children, some young adolescents uh, who are on the brink of making some very bad decisions. The night of the Newtown massacre, living just outside of Boston, when I came home that evening and was thinking about what had happened, I realized this could have been our town. This could have been our schools. This could have been our children. So I went down to the police station that evening and spoke for two hours with young officers. And they thanked me and said, we're fighting a losing battle. And seemingly we don't have any answers. And I thought, where is the church? Where is Gordon Conwell Seminary, which is just a couple of miles away? I'm certain that the, ch the children's welfare offices, the school superintendents, the police officers will find ways in which this church can play a redemptive role. And then I would encourage you as a congregation uh, to be in touch with other churches in the Lansing area, churches that have strength that may be similar to this great congregation. You are so blessed by the size, by the facilities, by the resources, by the, 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 the endeavors of, of work and profession that are represented here. Imagine if a church of this size, together with other churches in Lansing, were represented before the mayor's office or the city council and say, we represent thousands and thousands of people in Lansing who want to make a difference. This won't cost the taxpayers anything. We have people who want to serve. High Rock Church in Arlington, Massachusetts, a suburb of Boston, recently made the front page of the Boston Globe. Now, oftentimes, when churches make the front page of a major newspaper, like the Los Angeles Times, the New York Times, the Boston Globe, the Chicago Tribune, it's because of scandals. And it's publicity we do not want, but in this case, here was the church that said, we are committed to our city. We are committed to Boston, to Arlington, to our country. And they went to the mayor and to the city council and said, how can we be of help? And they explored a number of issues that needed attention in their affluent city. And the city council said, we have tremendous social needs in our city. We cannot possibly meet all of them. 
We're grateful for all that the church is doing, but we really need a professional to help them manage the resources of our city. And the church said, we're in. We will provide funding for a director of social services for Arlington. Now here's a church which is a tax-exempt entity, and they voluntarily become a major donor to their city. That made the front page of the Boston Globe, a newspaper that is read throughout New England and in many places across the country. A church serving its redemptive purposes, a church being an agent of reconciliation in a great metropolitan city. Now, finally, I would encourage you to think about Michigan State University right here in Lansing, Michigan. I went online last evening thinking about a missions conference and thinking about the great new reality of our time that the world has come to our doorstep. There are 7,161 international students from 131 countries studying here in your city. About 4,500 of them are undergraduates. Over 2,200 of them are graduate students. There are 80 students from Iran, and it so happens that Iran is the country in the Muslim world where students are most responsive to the gospel. I can guarantee you, if you interact with the Iranian community in Lansing, Michigan, you will find dynamic young believers. There are 215 students from Saudi Arabia, hard to reach Saudis in Saudi Arabia, as you know. There are 276 Indians. There are 563 from South Korea. And there are 4,300 from China. Do you know what students, international students, love more than almost anything else when they're in a new country? To be in the home of a host family. That's bragging rights. Do you know what's coming up in the next few weeks in our culture? Thanksgiving and Christmas. What could be more wonderful from a, for a student from China or Saudi Arabia or Iran or India or Japan or whatever of the 131 countries might interest you than to be in your home? It doesn't take an awful lot of work to put one extra chair at the table and one other plate and to invite a person into your home whose life forever could be changed because they are in the company of the reconciled community. And they are in the company of people who live at peace with God and with one another. You are people who have great opportunities right here in your own midst. Because, as this passage says to us, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and counting men's and not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. I grew up in Peoria, Illinois. I loved the local church. I loved the gospel. I had an interest in the world. When I was a young man, God called me into ministry. I knew that my life was to serve him in a, in a vocational way. I thought I would be a pastor. I went to seminary with a dream of pastoring a 1,000-member church by the time I was 30 years old. I don't think that was necessarily Holy Spirit-inspired, maybe the hubris of a young man, but that was my dream. But then God redirected us to Japan along the way. It so happened that I was preaching in a church on the west side of Tokyo in a residential community called Shimokitazawa the Sunday after I turned 30. And as I was preaching, I was looking out over the throng that had gathered there, and I recalled the vision, the dream that I had when I was a seminary student to pastor a thousand-member church. And as I was preaching, I was actually able to count the people one by one. And I realized that we had missed my goal by just 988 people. 
there was a group of 12 people who had gathered. And as I mentioned in the earlier service, that previous year, through the vision and energy that I brought to that church, not to mention my outstanding education at Wheaton College and Gordon Connell Seminary, we saw that church grow from 15 to 12. <laughs> and I thought, this is a waste of my life. I felt insignificant. But at that time, our first son was also born, and I needed to go down to the United States Embassy to, to register his birth. As I approached the U.S. Embassy for, for the first time and I saw this magnificent building of marble and glass and steel, wrought iron gates all the way around the property, handsome young Marines guarding every entrance and exit, chauffeured limousines coming and going, and I thought, this is power, this is significance, this represents economic power, cultural power, military power, financial power. And then I thought of the little church in Shimokitazawa, rented room on the second floor on the side street, and I thought that was insignificant. As I went about my business, I thought, why could I have not received a commission from then President of the United States, Ronald Reagan, to represent the United States of America? Now, that would be something. As I went about my work, I continued my little pity party, my fantasy of what it might be like to work there. But then after I left the embassy and began walking to the train station to make my way home, I had an experience that I will never forget. I was walking down a sidewalk in October of 1982 on a sunny afternoon in Tokyo, Japan. It was as if God opened the windows of heaven. And I saw there seated before me the king seated upon the throne, surrounded by the elders who were bowing down and worshiping and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then it was as if God tapped me on the shoulder and he said, Doug, I did not send you to Tokyo, Japan to be a representative of the United States of America. That is a temporary geopolitical entity. Someday it will be no more. But I have sent you as a person who learned to pray, as a person who learned to give, as a person who was willing to engage, I have sent you to be an ambassador of the eternal kingdom of heaven. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word, my kingdom is forever. Brothers and sisters, God has placed us in the context of a broken world. God has informed us by the text of Scripture. God has given you gifts that are meant to meet needs in our city and in our world. I pray now that you'll open up your heart and say, God, you have blessed me. Indeed, you have blessed me like you blessed Abraham to be a blessing. You have reconciled me to be a reconciler. God, I want my life to count. Use my life to change the direction of one individual, one family. Use me in the midst of one people group, one ethnicity. God, I am yours. I realize that I am part of your global core of ambassadors. I want to represent you and to represent your love and your power. Shall we pray? Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your work. We thank you for your church. We thank you that this morning you have spoken to us by your spirit. What I have shared with my lips, I trust that by your spirit you will take and plant it in the hearts and minds so that it will come to fruition in our service. Father, I do pray that our lives will be changed and that you will use us to change others' lives. Help us, Father, to introduce men and women, boys and girls who do not know you and who do not have hope, to know life of peace and hope, life eternal in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name.